HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast with your host, Andy, Micah, and Nate. You're doing that shit on purpose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he emphasized I this. This. I don't understand the problem. I mean, is, he's not lying. Still. He's not lying. Who's not lying? Andy's not, because it is. That's what this is. This is the, what, yeah, yeah. But we want to welcome them to Welcome to show. it, but this is it. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. You get what you get. You dumbasses are never going to get it right. So. <laughs> but well, what's right? See, here we, we were just having this conversation of what is right. Yeah, and it's only right if, if it's, it's his, position. if it's Nate's. If it, if it has anything to do with what we want, no, no, no. This this is the way it goes. This is more organized. This is more right. It's only more right because I'm the one doing it. Well, not this, but that and others. Well, welcome to it. Yeah. Welcome to it. <laughs> Welcome to the shit show, folks. Well, today, guys, we have a good one for you, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> that I'll agree with. <laughs> Got a good one today, folks. Yep. Today, we have our friends over at uh, Maven Optics to come on and talk a little bit of, uh, well, you get a little bit of binocular stuff, but our main topic is rifle scopes. The we talked a little bit about Maven, yeah. you know, who they are, where they came from, and then uh, he breaks down a rifle scope pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he like breaks the shit out of it right there in front of us. Yeah, no, he does a really good job explaining things. I mean, Get just it. just some. Oh, we got it. it. Just wasn't funny. Yeah, <laughs> you're just not. Whatever. Um, we do want to uh, give a little, not a teaser, because this is going to come out. Uh, you already know right before it, it's over, actually. But if you have not yet, we have a pre-order. If you haven't heard about it, I haven't heard about it. You're here. We have an online now. store pre-order online store that we've opened up for our listeners who keep asking for apparel and um for ourselves who for ourselves who want stuff (laughs) um so we've got we've got that we've got some hats some shirts and some hoodies uh, different colors for each um if you don't like the colors or there's a color that um isn't available i would say blame micah but that's just me I didn't want to get too complicated with too many colors at first. <laughs> like it just took it like we're, a man. We're too. going with the kiss method. Yeah. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. But to to so to order uh, something, uh, hop on our Instagram or our Facebook page, and I'm gonna try. We're gonna try to do a good job of posting. We'll have a link. a link in the link tree <laughs> where you link it, where it's linked. You, to you the tag link. on this and then tag on that and then yeah. But no, well, go ahead. Explain what you check learned. out our link tree. It's right at the very top. And it'll take you to the the page. I'll also post stories and whatever else with the link. We're just kind of going to try to get this started. So for right now, it's going to be a, a store. It's kind of a two week store, right? A two week store, pre order, get everything sent out to you. 
See guys, if, we, if it goes well, if we have good support for it, there's a chance we could open up a, a kind of permanent permanent store. Yeah. So, I mean, if you guys want it, we'll do it, but you got to do your part too. Yeah. So, check it know. out. Give some feedback on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you got any problems, obviously, but you'll you'll go in there, oh, you order, and then uh, <laughs> once the pre order is done, then that's when stuff will get shipped out or whatever. Right. Yes. Uh, this is new for us too, so I have no idea how any of that shit works. Yeah, but yeah, we're just we're trying more our than our, in. our hat options that we're shipping out of Nate's basement. So yeah, this makes it a little easier on us once we get the ball rolling. So. We, we, you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's get into some of our sponsors for today. Today's show, uh, we got. Uh, let's do it a little different order. Habitat Works. Yep, our buddy D- Dustin. Dustin. Yep, give Dustin a holler. We are you know third week of May at this point. Give him a holler. Clean out your holler. Loser. Okay. That was a good one. I didn't. No. No. No? Okay. Not you, Dustin. Andy. <laughs> Andy is the loser. But uh, give Dustin a call, um, 816-752-7390, or shoot him an email, habitatworksllc at gmail.com. Mention us <clears throat> when you call. You get 15% off any service. He does it all. Timber stand improvement, foresty mulching. Fire it's, burning. It's yeah. third, third week of May now, so probably no more burning going on. No, everything's pretty green at this point. Especially uh, when this comes out, it's yeah. gonna be green. So yep. So give him a call. Um, Huntworth Gear, Micah. You gonna say your normal thing? It's awesome. No, I love it. What do I, what do I normally say? What's he say? Like a couldn't couldn't be any happier. Could, we couldn't be any happier with those guys. <laughs> well, I mean, it's every the truth. week. <laughs> it's the truth. Couldn't be any happier. No, no. It, he it's isn't wrong. Stuff. It's no. good stuff. Yeah. It's great stuff, and uh, you know we're happy to you know use their stuff and. You and I, here in a few weeks, are yeah. going to be using it in the at the end of May to go hunt some coyotes up yep. there. Yeah, we're going to do our now annual coyote. This is our second annual. Yeah, coyote birthday hunt, birthday coyote hunt, How you want, however you want to say that. Because so, me and you share the same birthday. Last year, we went and shot coyotes. We're going to do it again this year. So, looking forward to it. Andy said no. Yeah, Andy said, I'm a little bitch and can't go. <laughs> I was I was told that I am not going to be getting out of the planter before then. So, buy a bigger planter. I, mean, I don't see the issue. I saw one. I saw one the other day. It looked like it was about a hundred yards long, wide. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that'll do it. So check them out. Huntworthgear dot com. Use code MWW one five for fifteen percent off. Black Ovis. Uh, actually, today I'm going to post a picture of our buddy Pat. He got some. Um, Got some oh, arrows, arrows made. Arrows yeah, made. Yeah. He he sent it to me, and then I didn't save the picture, so I had to ask for it again. That custom arrow builder program. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's what it's called or not, but they have Close a pretty enough. sweet program to literally custom build you arrows. Yeah, you pretty much all you need to want and need to know, I think you just need to know the length of your actual arrow, mm-hmm. and then you can go in and customize what brand, how many fletchings, how you want to do a left, right helical, whatever. Yep. So get them custom made. And don't lie about the length, guys. Okay. <laughs> This is one that's yeah, really matters. It matters. Yeah. Half a pack of Rolades is perfectly fine. <laughs> Use the code. <laughs> Use the code MWW10 for 10% off. Also, Camo Fire, sister company of theirs. We're not going to talk about what they got today because it's going to be yeah, it's going to be long w- gone by now, way gone. You know, but it's a daily flash sale. If you don't know what it is, you can download the app. If you're listening to the podcast on Tuesday. It's Trail Cam Tuesday. That's true. You keep saying that. Is that accurate? It is. Yes. Every so if I got on there right now. We're recording we're, this on a Tuesday. This is a Tuesday, yes. Yeah. So let's just let's confirm Andy's 
because you've said that a few times, and you might be lying. Nope. That is definitely not cameras. That is all uh-huh. hats, <laughs> knives, some pants. They changed it up on me. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's full of crap. Andy is I'm a confirming dumbass. Ooh, I want that hoodie. That's nice. Yeah. That's a good one. But, yeah. Typically... We haven't done Trail Camp Tuesday in <laughs> 10 years, you dumb shit. <laughs> I thought it was Trail Camp Tuesdays. Isn't but, that just a hashtag you use? So check them out, camofire.com. You can also download the app. Uh, I haven't downloaded the app back to my phone since I had to clean it out. But That tripod's uh, pretty sick. Yeah. Man, they always got some good stuff. Yep. Anyway, I said we weren't going to go through the damn site today. <laughs> we Sorry. Did anyway. uh, Alps Outdoors. I don't know what else to say. The, the Grand, Grand Slam Turkey Chair. My best pack, favorite pack I have. For turkey hunting? Period. No doubt. Um, Coyote, I had turkey. the Enforcer, which is the same thing you've got for coyotes. We've talked about just that. The, I, have a, little I have different. a turkey just, pow, like a vest. Yeah, and bag. I just got a bag. And you have a, a backpack. Bag. Yeah. It's like zipper style. But they both have the same like kickstand, whatever you call it, chair in it. Well, I've taken so many naps this turkey season. <laughs> that's what, dude, it's been great for turkey. And hopefully Friday when you and I potentially do it yeah um i'll be doing it using it again because it's it's for turkey hunting i have really enjoyed that you have to wake me up because i kick those legs back and And i just just fall asleep start snoozing yeah um use the code woodswater all spelled out for 30 percent off anything and then finally zamberland boots um been using the hell out of them you know it takes about i would say 24 hours to break your boots in like a day of use yeah if that you know yeah the, and the more you wear them, the more comfortable they get. Oh, yes. I mean, I got mine on right now. I, I wear them for work. They are awesome. do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right now, dude. I'm telling you, they're perfect. Especially now, it's been raining. It was raining all day yesterday. All the grass is wet. What are those, waterproof. What, what are those yeah. ones that you have called that we all have them? <laughs> the Salates. Salates. I, I don't care. Whatever they're called. Salates. I wore those on the farm. I wore the, those. I wore them everywhere. Yeah. It's not like one of their like main hunting boots. But these lakes, dude, they're like an everyday they're, wear. They're going to Colorado with me. Absolutely. Oh, sure. They're definitely my backups. Yeah. Dude, they're I, not going to give you the ankle support, obviously. No, they're when low tops. Low no. tops, but uh, they're still, they're my. I, I wear them every day at the farm. I love them. Yep. They're great. So, so appreciate all our sponsors and uh, friends of the show for, um, you know, being, being, uh, being a part of it. Being, being a friend of, of the show. Yeah. Oh, okay. Being our friends. Thank you for <laughs> being a friend. Let's not do that. Ooh. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. Can I not keep going? No, no. Push the button. Push the button. Okay, with us today, we have Cade Mastis with Maven. Cade, what's going on, man? How you guys doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. I think Mike and I are both doing better than Andy. Oh, yeah. That ain't too bad. (laughs) Today wasn't a bad day. It's still coming. Andy came running in here from the dentist. So so today, like people have already heard on our intro, uh, we're going to be talking about the basics of rifle scopes. But before we do, Cade, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us about Maven a little bit. 
Sure. So my name is Cade Mastis. I'm one of the three owners of Maven, and I oversee the operations department, uh, all of the purchasing, inventory, shipping, et cetera. I have, have a staff under me doing that. And then I'm also the product manager for rifle scopes and range finders. Okay. And then my business partner, Mike, he is the product manager for the spotting scopes and binoculars. So kind of split it, um, you know, split it up a little bit so no one's too overwhelmed. And then our third partner, Brendan, he's in charge of, you know, the design, the marketing and those aspects of, of the business as well. So between the three of us, we pretty much will oversee all aspects of the business. Uh, we started in mid 2013, took about a year to develop our first products and get things off the ground and launched our first product uh, in July of 2014. And, you know, just been kind of eking things out since then, kind of growing slowly and organically. You know, we started out with uh, two binoculars, uh, the B1 and the B2. Okay. Um, we have a pretty simple naming convention. We come out with a product. It's either a B or an RS for rifle scope or RF for rangefinder, And then just in the order that we release them is the number that's attached to them. Keeps it simple. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't spend a lot of time on product naming. I, I will say that right now it's kind of uh, sometimes simplicity bites you in the butt, right? <laughs> so we just revised our B1, and it was different enough that it needed its own number because we wanted to show it was new and improved, but it's also the foundation of the line, so we didn't want to make it the B7. So now we have the B1.2, mm-hmm. and, you know, in the end, no one really cares. Uh, I think uh, – keeping our naming convention at least where you can tell the series, the class of product by the name helps, you know, when you have all these different birds or reptiles or cities or mountain ranges naming (laughs) your product, you really don't have anything to, no one can say, Oh, I have the, you know, the Wyoming line like, Ooh, Wyoming, that's awesome. You know, who knows where it would fit? At least we can say, you know, all of our BR premium, all of our C is our classic line, our mid range line. And that's true across the board of all of our products. And so that kind of helps us internally keep things a little simpler. No doubt. Uh, but I digress. Sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> that happens. You're, you're going to see me in the weeds quite frequently. Oh no, that's all right. right. We like, we like being in the weeds. So did you guys, have you always been in the optic field, I guess, or did y'all just, y'all saw a need and a want and just started or how did that, how did it come about? Uh, so kind of a quick backstory on the three of us, all three of us worked at an outdoor company previously. Um, we worked for a company called Brunton that was based out of Riverton, Wyoming, about 30 miles away. And all of us were in kind of the product development side there. And um, they went through this huge international, they were owned by an international corporation that in international corporation was bought by another big international corporation. And they were starting to kind of break the company up and they wanted us to move to Portland under, um, one of their other big brands. And we didn't really have an interest in that. So we actually left in late 08 and which is a terrible time. To <laughs> yeah, that was a Anything. Time. Yeah. It was pretty terrible timing. And we started a product development company where we basically did contract product development for independent retailers. And we ran that through um, the end of 2013. The problem we were finding there was 
we didn't have anything to really sell. Like we weren't building anything. We were helping other people with their brands. We were helping mm-hmm. people increase their revenues at their storefront. But our company really was just a service company for the three of us. So we were sitting around with some friends of ours that uh, own one of the biggest um, binocular factories in the world in Japan. And we've been, we've been friends with them for 20 years mm-hmm. and literally sitting around the campfire, having, having a couple of whiskeys. And they were like, well, we've always wanted to come up with a product. We wanted to develop a, a top tier binocular out of Japan that would compete at any level in the world. But right now, none of our customers are really interested in that. They all come over and they want to compete at the mid range. They want to compete a little bit cheaper. Um, Mm -hmm. They're trying to fit a certain sales slot in um, a major chains uh, optics cabinet. And there's not a whole lot of room at the top. So they wanted to compete in the middle. Yeah. Like, well, that's interesting. We'd really like to take a product like that, a top tier, you know, world-class product out of Japan, opportunity to work with friends, people we like. And, you know, right around that time, Kuyu was really making some hay with their direct consumer in the premium mm-hmm. um, yeah. clothing side. Like, you know what? There's an opportunity here if the, with the direct consumer. We can put something out that's, absolutely world-class and do it at a price that's half of the competitors and fill a unique niche to the consumer. Um, so that's what we did. And it, uh, took a little while to get off the ground and, you know, we've just been releasing new products as they come up. The other cool thing about being a direct consumer company is we're not locked into this release cycle of the major brands. Yeah. We typically everything's shown at shot for the, shooting sports and everything's shown an outdoor retailer for the green sports until so you're on the same product development cycle as every other company in the world the factories are backlogged during those windows and for us as soon as something's ready we can sell it yeah so if we miss a january launch we can launch it in february we can launch it in march we don't have to wait a whole another year mm-hmm. to get it in front of people so that's been that's been interesting. It's been good. It lets us continue to talk about new stuff throughout the year. Yeah. Um, you know, launched our C series rifle scopes. Yep. January third, like mm-hmm. just completely out of cycle of what you would expect, and they're doing well. So I know we're going to talk about rifle scopes, but this is intriguing to me because all three of us actually learned about Maven. Um, through my brother-in-law, another shout out to the gear guy. Surprise, Russell. Russell. Hey, Russ, what's up, man? When I was looking at uh, putting a new rifle scope on a gun, um, I had a rifle scope that I was not happy with. I won't mention the brand, but was not a fan of it. Um, never have been a fan of it. And I'm like, you know, what should I, you know, what should I get? Is I mean, obviously, there's a there's brands that everybody knows the name, but he knows everything. Like that <laughs> that kid knows everything. He knows. Every little thing about every product, he just he does research. He does a lot of mm-hmm. research. So I'm like, what should I get? I don't want to spend seventeen thousand dollars on a scope, but I want a good scope. I don't want garbage anymore. And it, the first thing he said was, "You should look at Maven." Then, yep. And I'm like, "Who?" And he said, "Maven. You should look at them." And so I got on your your website, and the kind of the rest is history with all that. So. What are some of the positives you just mentioned being direct to consumer? You can kind of control your own 
timeline, I guess. Sure. Some of the struggles with being direct to consumer is you don't have, you know, you're not in front of people's faces as much, uh, like at, you know, a store front, that sort of stuff where they can actually see it. What are some of the downsides to being direct to consumer like that? So that's a mixed bag, honestly. The, uh, um, the not being in front of people. We go to a lot of shows. We mm-hmm. go to a lot of shows. Um, but they're all consumer shows. And every yeah. conversation is with an actual user who might actually pick that up and walk. Yeah. Uh, when we were in um, the wholesale side of the business, every conversation, like we when we go do shot show, it revolved around 17 meetings. The entire year went around 17 meetings. And if one of the buyers from the big Nebraska uh, (laughs) chain store came in and made a good purchase, everyone was dancing. If they were disappointed, you were not. But his purchasing cycle is different. What they're interested in, like I had kind of alluded to earlier, they have a $2,000 slot and it's filled by company A. They have a $1,500 slot, company B, whatever, all the way down the chain. When they come into your meeting, they're like, I have a $750 spot. What do you have? Like, well, I have this $1,000 one. I have this $500 one. They're like, all right, take the $1,000 one, strip it down to where it's $750, and we'll take $10,000 of it. I had meetings where those guys (laughs) wouldn't even look through a product. They would just tell what slot you had to hit dollar-wise. Yeah. So, you know, the disadvantage of direct-to-consumer is every conversation is one sale. They're not walking out with a container load of product. The upside is every conversation is one sale. So if I blow it, I haven't lost my year. Right. You know, Um, you always have that chance to get them back. But the, the truth is we're talking to the end user, the guy, the gal that really... They have an honest question about that rifle scope, not because they think they can sell it to 20 million more people, but because it's their own personal use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So most of our product development comes from these shows where we're talking to a customer and they're like, man, this would be perfect if it only had A, or what I'm really missing is a B. Yeah. And we jot those things down. We make a note. And when we've heard the same thing 20 times over a course of a couple of shows, we're like, there's our next product. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's real world, real time feedback is awesome. Um, you know, the other advantage I think of not being in those big box stores is I'm not relying on a 17 year old call or high school kid who's working weekends yep. that got a free hat from one of the other companies and now he's a lifelong fan. So that's all he's pushing. <laughs> yeah, um, hats are cool though. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've experienced it. You've yep. gone into a store and said, Hey, I'm looking for a product. And they're like, Oh, this is the one you want. Yeah. Well, the secret is that there's companies out there that are directly compensating those guys 10% of the purchase price of whatever they sell to buy their own gear later. He's that's what they're going to pimp. And so yep. we're able to go out, talk our own product with our own people. Um, and we're never going to be the thousand pound gorilla because direct consumers by its very nature a smaller market but everyone that we get to deal with are real users real customers that are giving us real feedback on product and i think that's pretty cool and i think that's what's got to be cool about it is you were kind of talking about it a second ago that 750 dollars slot right every product that you guys make is 
not to be weird about it, but kind of one of your babies, right? Like you, yep. you took people's feedback and then you said, we're going to create this. And then you have a meeting and say, well, this is a thousand dollar scope. And that buyer might say, well, we need it for seven fifty, and take all this crap that you spent a lot of time on off of it and then sell it for that. And it, yep. you know, it doesn't feel like your baby anymore when you have to do all these changes. Uh, so it's kind of uh, interesting that or cool that you can kind of create what you want based on obviously what your customers want in the end too. Um, so, but yeah, let's, let's jump into rifle scopes and we'll probably touch on rangefinders and stuff like that. Binos too, at some point, because we're all excited to try at that rangefinder. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I Dude. need. Yeah. Especially who, which one are you using the garbage one that well, mine? Yeah. <laughs> It's terrible. That thing might go to like 200 yards before it starts having problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Range finders are fun, but yeah, we'll we'll uh, jump right into rifle scopes, and then we'll kind of see where it goes from there. So, rifle scopes are rifle scopes are the bread and butter of the optics industry, and you figure 80 percent of all optic cells, I believe, were rifle scopes in it. Oh, really? At first you go like, ooh, that, that seems bizarre. But you go out and you get your first nice pair of binoculars, you probably don't need another pair. You so you're going to hang on to them for up... a while. What's that? You're going to hang on to them for a while. You're not going yeah. to. Yeah. And they serve multiple purpose. Every time you go deer hunting, every time you go antelope hunting, if you're going to go turkey hunting, you can use that same pair of binoculars. Yeah. You might add an 18. You might have a you know, an 18 power, you might throw a compact into the truck, but really for most users, a, a binocular is one and done, but you need a scope for every gun you have. And, you know, when you're 18, 20, 25, you probably have your one do all gun, but mm-hmm. as all of us know, gear creep happens. <laughs> you yeah. You get a good uh, deal. You win one at the wild Turkey banquet. You inherit one from your dad, whatever. You just go spend $5,000 in a month period. (laughs) Like me. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, you walk back here into the gun safe and I've probably got 17 rifles in there. Most of them have scopes on them. I'm still waiting to mount up a couple because I'm behind, but I, I'm just not going to take a scope off one gun, put on the other. I need it sighted in ready to go so I can grab and go to the range tomorrow. So, um, rifle scopes are a very, very broad category. And because of all of the calibers, all of the different style of hunting, all the different styles of shooting, um, that also translates to a broad, uh, range of needs in scopes. So you go back to, you know, the 1800s when they basically just put a glass tube in with one, uh, one lens and a crosshair. And it hardly magnified at all, but it was a really nice uh, addition, you know, mm-hmm. much more precise than iron sights. And then people started adding more and more lenses and doing what they needed to do to um, make them a little bit more precise and more durable. Uh, then, you know, I, my history of scopes isn't awesome, but, you know, when my dad, when I was hunting with my dad, we had, you know, the fixed six power mm-hmm. sometime in the late eighties, everybody started to come out with the three to nine by 40. That was the bread and butter for rifle scopes. And it's still our number one asked for rifle scope. Where's your three to nine by 40. It's like, well, we don't make that, but we also don't <laughs> use a Betamax. For, to watch our shows. <laughs> um, it ha- 
had its time, but it's uh, it, it's been surpassed. But anyway, there's better things out there now, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's over there with your A track. <laughs> it just makes me think of somebody I know's cell phone that still uses the old flip. Oh, you know, like hey, you know it's 2022, right? Like yeah. your phone can do a lot more than that. <laughs> uh, so when we first set out to design our first rifle scope, um, the RS1, surprisingly enough. Uh, we spent a lot of time kind of polling the community. And for us, we're a small company. I mean, it, the product development dollars literally come out of our pockets. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not this big corporation where we can draw from, you know, years and years of uh, proceeds. It's, you know, nip and tuck. And so we have to be smart about it. And so we knew we had to kind of come out with a do-all scope to start. And we didn't want to come out with a three to nine by 40. We wanted to come out with something that was, within that uh, all around hunter, but covering the low end by going a little bit lower and the high end by going a little higher. So uh, the RS1 is a two and a half to 15 by 44. That's what I got. So you're on a, you know, 30 mil tube. So you get some extra adjustment in it. You're going below the three on the low end for people that want to use, you know, down in the timber and the brush. Um, And then I actually use it on a 22 rimfire because mm-hmm. it has the parallax adjustment goes down to uh, you know 10 yards so I can shoot indoor matches with it. And then top end up to 15, I can shoot steel out to 1100 yards pretty easily on my, on my bigger guns. Then of course there was the two great debates, exposed versus uh, cap turrets mm-hmm. and first versus second focal point. And I'm not positive we got it right in both instances um but we also knew we had room to to grow uh the first focal plane was a big debate because all of us are a little bit older and grew up hunting these you know second focal plane or non-zoomed reticles uh so we had to ask around a lot what we heard is the market's still probably 50 50 maybe even more 60 40 towards second focal plane Mm -hmm. but the higher end is all first focal plane, the the wave of the future. So we jumped on the first focal plane and we're really glad we did. We did go with cap turrets because of the uh, the just general brush hunting yeah. aspect of, of life. Uh, the This wasn't designed to be a long range scope or a, a competitive scope, uh, but we did work with a company, Wyoming Arms, to make some custom drop-in turrets that you can put on, get cut-free ballistics, so it does have the abil- ability to retrofit. And it's been it's been a workhorse scope. I've uh, I've shot elk and antelope and rabbits and a lot of steel and paper with it on a, all kinds of different guns. Everything you know, from my little twenty-two to a three hundred Win Mag, um, and it stood up to it. So. It was a really logical first scope to me. Um, It'll probably be in our line for a long time. I think we will work on some variations of it, uh, some enhancements to it, or at least, you know, keep it as it is, but then have some sub models here in the near future. We're hoping. Um, But at the same time, we started developing our second scope, our RS2, and it was purpose built by me because I was uh, selfish and was unhappy with the <laughs> options I had for my new gun. Um, we had just had a friend of ours in Vermont build us this ultralight uh, backcountry 6.5 Creedmoor for, uh, for elk hunting. 
Um, and I didn't want to put an RS1 on it. RS1 added, you know, it's a 23 and a half ounce scope. And I wanted a dual scope that was in that 12 ounce range. Okay. I'm only shooting this gun, you know, 400 yards at an animal. It doesn't have to be tacked up, tactile turrets. It doesn't have to be, you know, this super long range scope. But why would you build a five pound gun and put a two pound scope on it? So we developed the ultralight scope and sat down with our manufacturers to kind of be a little bit more cutting edge on some of the materials we used inside the turrets. You know, brass is great, but it's, uh, it's dense. It's a little mm -hmm. heavier, but we didn't want to use aluminum because aluminum does catastrophic failure. So we did some hybrid materials in there and just kind of worked to push the boundaries of it. And, I'm not going to go detail to, by detail of all the scopes we've done, but that's been our kind of our progression is we created a project or, you know, we found a need, did a project to fulfill that need. Almost immediately that generated another need like, okay, now you've filled this gap. Here's well, the next gap. And here's yeah. the next gap. Um, I will talk about the RS three and four combined. Cause I think it's a, a fun conversation. We knew after the RS one and two, that we were that was the limit of our internal abilities to really you know push the boundaries and so we gathered uh together a group of hunters and shooters from across the country um all that had ties to us in one way or another so they were all friends we could kind of bring them in but we flew or drove them all to lander and we did a three-day round table sitting in our our old building or and we did a day of talking and then we went out to the range for a day. Everybody brought their guns. We bought a pallet of ammo. We shot everything from, uh, you know, P90, full auto, uh, and SCAR 17s up to, I mean, just pretty much well any gun you could imagine. We had a couple of our gun partners send us some some T&E guns to play with. And I think we probably had 40 or 50 long guns out there that we just played with all day. And everyone yeah. bought brought the scopes that they liked and what they used and what they used on different things. And we kind of used what we had talked about that first day. And then, Oh, you know, here's that scope I was telling you about that has the first focal plane. Here's the second, here's a reticle. I really like, here's one I don't like. And we walked through that. And then day three, back to the drawing board, spent another full day in the office kind of putting, starting to draw our, our overlapping circles. And we realized that we had to develop two rifle scopes to meet everybody's needs around the table. So the RS3 and the RS4 built off the same concept from the same group of people. The lightest long range hunter on the market, the RS3, um, it's a five to 30 that weighs like under 30 ounces. Mm -hmm. It's pretty amazing. That's oh, it's, both yeah, it's, you have, yeah, right? we yeah. both have the RS3 yeah. and, and it's awesome. Too. Awesome. Yep. Right? You know, and people complain a little bit about the zero stop because it's an old school zero stop, but it's the single lightest zero stop that you can do. You know, there's it's there's no illumination because illumination adds weight. Not everyone, not every state allows illumination. Right. There's still some that that's considered artificial light. We we don't have the, especially at that time, didn't have the skew capabilities of diversifying our minimums too much. Right. Like that's mm -hmm. a lot of buy-in. But then we developed the RS4 at the same time, which I call the kitchen sink scope. It's got <laughs> everything, you know, five settings of red illumination, five settings of green illumination, full cap 
turrets, 34 mil tube. Weight was not an issue there. Um, and we launched them almost simultaneously. Uh, but both of those came from that round table of users that are competitive shooters, professional guides, um, a former um, optics counter manager at a big box store, kind of the works. Mm -hmm. And that was a, a fun project. And I still tap into those guys a couple of times a year. We're all part, part of an email chain and every rifle scope we're coming out with, um, I, I shoot to them and say, uh, what do you guys think about this? What's our miss here? What are we doing there? Yeah. Um, it's good to have that research group for sure. Yep. Yeah. And so, they're actual users. So, yeah. yeah. So as it relates to, you you know, kind of talked about some of the different scopes and <clears throat> that you guys have. And I think it's important for our listeners, like we were talking, um, Andy actually was the first one of us three to do this. And a lot, of, I think of our listeners are interested or curious as to what they should do or if they should make the change. But the difference between first focal plane and second focal plane. I mean, up until right. like a year and a half ago, I didn't know there was such a thing or like even what it was. I was still grabbing my dad's gun out of the exactly. case. and had, It was the, the three by nine, you know, first, or second focal plane, yeah. 40 millimeter tube type stuff. And until uh, we got into coyote hunting real big and starting to, you know, shoot a little more distance, figuring that out. My buddy called her, turned me on to the first focal plane, and said, you need to check this out. And that's when I started. Uh, so, yeah, like Nate saying, kind of, kind of explain to people um, the differences, because I'm sure we, you're going to have a way better explanation of it than all sure. we are. I'm actually going to start one step before that. And I always try to do this on um, any of the optics podcasts or any of the, the forums and stuff that I do, because you'll be amazed at how many people out there don't even understand what the numbers on a scope mean, let alone when we start getting into the intricacies. So yeah, um, I've had guides and outfitters come up and say, I don't understand what the 10 X means. So I'm going to start there. So the numbers, when we talk about it, any optic, the first number is the magnification times your eye, or it makes it that much bigger. So a uh, 10x makes it 10 times closer three times makes it three times closer and in a rifle scope in particular uh, because it zooms it has variable what we call variable optic uh variable zoom on it it the first number is the low like a two and a half to 15 means it goes from two and a half times magnification to a 15 times magnification and everywhere in between there are some brands that just have like it's two, four, six, eight, and it doesn't have indents, but most are, are zoomed throughout. Then the second number is the size of the objective lens or the lens pointed at the object in millimeters. So that's probably the most misunderstood or the least understood, however you want to look at it, number in an optic. I'll have someone come up and they'll pick up my little uh, 30 millimeter B3 and go, I really like this size, but I want it in a 56. Like, well, that's not how it works. The 30 dictates the size. Oh, but I like this small size, but my friends tell me I need a 56. So if you can take this 30 and make it a 56 without making it any bigger, it will be perfect. <laughs> so we spend a lot of time describing them. Uh, well, what those numbers really combine to mean is, you know, most people confuse the size of the objective lens with field of view. Mm -hmm. And field of view is rarely indicated by the... Uh, by the lens, it's the entire system. Uh, the longer the optic is, the smaller the field of view is gonna be. 
uh, just by naturally necking down that uh, viewpoint. Higher magnification is going to lower your field of view. Um, a bigger objective lens can help, but really the objective lens is all about light. It's like the the pupil of your eye, the bigger it is, more light comes in. So mm -hmm. the whole thing has to work together end to end in the optical system. And so I wanted to start there, but part of the optical system right in the center of the scope and it's floating in there. And it's the part that when you twist your turrets to move the reticle up or down, left or right, as you're adjusting it, or if you're dialing to shoot, um, is called the erector tube. And inside that erector tube is a bunch of lenses and your reticle. And depending on where you put the reticle in that uh, um, erector tube will determine if it's a front or second focal plane. Um, and a lot, uh, the first or front focal literally means that the reticle is in the front of that erector tube. So as you're looking through it and you're looking at all those lenses, it's not only magnifying the image downrange, it's magnifying the reticle. Hmm. So as you change the zoom, it zooms the image and the reticle at the exact same rate. If it's in the back, if it's a rear or second focal plane, it's behind the zoom mechanism. So as you change the size of the image, the reticle doesn't zoom because it's behind that zoom lens. So that's the nuts and bolts of how it works. Why it works is, you know, a little bit more um, esoteric. And if you have a ballistic compensating reticle, a BDC or you know, anything with the dots and lines on it that shows you where to hold over, mm -hmm. In a second focal plane, that is only accurate at one power. So those lines a, a are single power, correct? Not a one, single a, a single, single fixed power. Right. So, um, for example, on our CRS that we came out with that goes um, three to twelve, the holdover lines inside are five, ten, and twenty MOA at twelve power. But as you decrease the magnification the image gets smaller but your reference on those hash marks stays the same so as the image gets smaller the point of reference where those uh hash marks hit the body of the animal or the lines on the target get further and further apart on the target hmm. um, so at 12 it's 5 moa at 6 it's 10 MOA. It's exactly double. I was going to ask what it is. Exact number if it was a yeah. Yeah, I mean it's because the you know if you use the magnification, there's always an X there. Mm -hmm. you think of it as times twelve times magnification, six times magnification, six is half of twelve. Therefore, it's doubling that distance or having the the magnification in between. So if you're out in the field and you're walking along and you're kind of down in the timber. And let's say you know that you're um, 308 drops, five and a half MOA at 400 yards. So right at that uh, hash mark, that first hash mark, if you're on max power, that's your holdover for 400. Mm -hmm. Well, only if you're on max power, but let's say you've been walking through the trees and so now you've got it sitting down on four power in order to have a better sight picture if you have to do a quick shot right you take a shot 
you wound the animal, it runs out in a field and it's 400 yards away heading for private property. Now you've got to take a, take a shot to try and put it down, right. To finish your, your harvest. You take that, you hold it over at that five mark, but you don't adjust your power. You're off by 20 feet. You're nowhere close to it. Is, is that animal. bad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not ideal. It's not ideal. So a lot of things have to align if you're going to hold over mm-hmm. and use a second focal plane reticle. Now, 90% of animals or something like that are shot between one and 300 yards. You're not holding over. It doesn't matter. Use what's comfortable to you. Mm-hmm. But as people are starting to push the limits of, you know, back when I started hunting with my dad, a 400 yard shot was just not even, it yeah. wasn't in the books. Now it's, you know, now people are pushing it, you know, double, triple that on a regular basis. And there's kind of two schools of thought and they're a diverging school of thought in most areas. And it's the holdover versus the dial. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to hold over a first focal plane is almost mandatory, right? Because those markings are only going to be accurate at one setting on a, on a single setting on a second focal plane. So you're always having to make sure you're at that setting or doing math, calculating all the changes all the time. Um, the other group is the dial. The, I call them the spin to win crew. Um, <laughs> and it's a very uh, robust and growing area of the industry. I tend to see it more in shooters versus hunters, mm-hmm. but that is also changing. Um and we're also starting to see a lot of people that might never use it, but feel like that is the hallmark of a scope is can they, can they dial it? Um, so we have a lot of um, long range hunters and shooters that still like the second focal plane because they don't want to have to look at anything different. Mm-hmm. And as long as they're dialing, it does, they're not really using the holdovers in there. And I have people that still want an old fashioned duplex reticle in a 24 power scope because they're never going to use any of the marks other than a, uh, the dial. And then you have the hybrids, which most people fall in the hybrid in my experience, my very limited experience where they dial elevation and they hold wind. Mm -hmm. So you're starting to see reticles with a lot more, uh, bars on the horizontal vertice. Um, Mm -hmm. but the, but a, a cleaner up and down and they're dialing that piece. So it's, that's really where you start to get into the differences of use. Um, it was interesting, you know, here in the U S we do a lot of shows and you can pretty much well divide the groups as they walk up. You can kind of guess who's who. Yeah. But I just came back from a show in South Africa and exactly zero interest in a second focal plane reticle they've been using first focal planes for years and it doesn't matter if they're shooting bush pigs off their porch or if they're shooting the king of two mile down at cape town they are only using first focal plane across the board period Hmm. um so it does seem to be adopted a lot more overseas france was the same way we're, we're late to the party, like, a lot of times. What I like about those on the first focal plane is it's it's math. No matter what, you know, power you're at, it's math for your rifle. I mean, if you can do math in your head pretty quick, you can figure out, and you, you can get close to whatever you're shooting at, I feel like. But after talking to a lot of people, um, 
I talked to a guy the other day. He's, you know, he shoots quite a bit of long range. I'm like, oh, first focal plane. He's like, nope, second. I can't stand first. I'm like seriously? He's like, yeah, it just gets in my head. I can't, you know, I'm second focal plane. And like so many people, it's just personal preference. It seems yeah. like, but. And I don't know where I'll lie. I mean, the idea because I now have a first focal plane scope, but I don't have enough experience with it yet to know how much I like it. The the initial thought as to why I made that choice was I really like the idea that no matter what power I've got that scope on, because the three of us are, we've gotten pretty heavy into coyote hunting. So sometimes that shot, you don't have like all day to turn it to 12 power or, you know. You don't know if that coyote's coming in at 20 yards or 400 yards. Mm -hmm. Not always. You you want to be able to make the adjustment quick. So my idea is, you know, if I have that, that, rifle so dialed in that i know you know um and i'm just going to be very rudimentary with what i'm saying the second hash mark down is is 350 yards and uh 500 yards is the fifth one down or whatever right i know that no matter where i have that scope that is what it is yep that's the idea now i've i never really had issues with second focal plane other than the fact that if you had your basic duplex reticle like you were saying I hated holding eight and a half inches high where I was aiming at air at that point, essentially on, you know, like an animal, right. like a coyote, you're aiming at mm-hmm. air above its body. That in my brain, that doesn't work well. Like, uh, I, what am I aiming at? There's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> so it always would mess with me. So that's my, my goal with the first focal is I think if you get really dialed in with your rifle, you should know mm-hmm. every little hash mark, every little thing like you kind of do on yours now. It's getting better. It's, you know, you know this is what it is at this amount or this yardage. Right. Um, that's that's our our idea and why we decided to switch to a first focal plane. And I don't know if I'll be one of those dudes that will use both. I mean, I'm sure there's people out there that, hey, I'll, I'll have a first focal on this rifle and a second on this one, but um, – that's that's, that's kind of most of us are honestly uh-huh. most of us have a mix kind of depending on the application um and as we come out with new scopes things continue to change uh we also have access to more scopes than most people so <laughs> we, can, uh, we could probably play around a little bit more than most but uh you know nothing replaces trigger time doesn't matter if you're going to use a first focal plane a second focal plane and all of those things are only good if you have certain key pieces of information. If you don't know your ballistics and don't know your drops and don't know what your gun does, right. it doesn't matter what your scope is. doesn't matter. If you're going back and forth from factory loads to hand loads to what you found up on the uh, floor of your pickup truck on the way out hunting, <laughs> that's me. Doesn't matter. Again, it <laughs> doesn't bad. matter. Those scope, those marks aren't going to do you a lick of good. Um, and conversely, if you're going to shoot your animals between 100 and 300 all day, sight in at 200, leave it on mid power. Don't worry about what scope it is. Just get really, really good at pulling a crisp, clean trigger. Which you know, honestly uh, is really, I mean, think about it. It's a lot of hunters. Yeah. Even, even coyote hunters out West. Sure. Out West compared to where we are, longer shots are more possible. Um, we're in farm country, but. You know, there's quite a bit of timber. So let's, I would say 300 yards is probably one of your longer shots. I mean, you could probably go out there a little further. Out west, yeah, you could shoot 
five, six hundred yards. But how often are you actually doing that? Probably not right. too terribly often. Now, the difference between 400 and 600 yards for me, the, the number one area where that comes into effect is antelope hunting. Um, you know, we have these big open rolling sagebrush hills. And I swear every antelope out here carries a, a rangefinder. <laughs> and he knows exactly what your comfort range is and stays about 50 yards past that. Uh, so all the little guys, they get into 200, 250 all day. You can, you can clobber them. You know, you can have your tag filled and be back at the house by 10 if you want. But if you want a big guy, you either have to be super sneaky, which um, I'm a big guy. I'm not that sneaky. <laughs> or, or you need to add another 50, 100 yards to your shot. But it's got to be good, clean, ethical shot. It's not a, oh, I think I can wing it because I did it once on a still plate. You got to go out and know the ballistics of your gun and practice. You know, I, I use an app called iStreetLock or Streelock Pro um, that you put your ballistics in and you can do it. Uh, he says, write it down. Yeah, write that down. Right <laughs> right. Mike is already yeah. writing it down. Write it down. <laughs> what was it called again? Um, Streelock. So on the Google store, which I use, it's called Streelock Pro. On the Apple, it's called iStreetLock, I believe. So go ahead and write um, iStreetLock. But it has almost every reticle in it. And you enter your ballistics, you use your, it'll actually enter your uh, temperature and all that stuff based off of weather apps. And it'll give you your ballistics for your round for that day where you are. Wow. And if, you know, it's, I use this as a example all the time. We live in Wyoming. Elk season and antelope season overlap. I can wake up in the morning at 10,000 feet elevation and hunt elk for a couple hours and then drive 20 miles and hunt antelope at 6,500 feet elevation at 80 degrees with the same gun. And those ballistics are significantly different in what the bullet's going to do. And so throw it in a, a good app like Streelock, enter your information and say, okay, now the, on my reticle, my fifth, line down is my holdover for 400 instead of my sixth line down or seventh line right which is the difference between gut shooting an animal and one mm. and done which is all of our goal i think so yeah and i think that's maybe the biggest hurdle people have to maybe i'm wrong i'm just maybe it's my biggest hurdle but i think most of our audience is probably similar to us you know they they may or may not be serious about certain types of hunting and they're real serious about others. And, um, as we've gotten more into coyote hunting, we've gotten more into guns, which is where I made the joke about spending thousands of dollars over the past six <laughs> weeks, which is true, by the way. Uh, I've, I've, uh, I wouldn't advertise that. <laughs> tap, tap my wife's, uh, patience on that one. Um, that has been the biggest thing I've had to decide with scopes is first focal versus second there's positives to both um you know like the one negative i will i will say on my my first focal plane scope is that two and a half power that that thing is tiny you know that reticle is small now i yep. haven't seen it out on a target yet in the field to to know how much that will affect me it probably won't at all but compared to that second focal plane that i'm used to 
That thing's the same size, right? We you you went through the mat or the science on that. Aim small, miss small, but right. So, yep. uh, I think I'm going to like that change, but, um, it's just a matter of knowing the difference. I mean, for years, none of us knew what the hell that meant. First focal plane. What the hell does that mean? Just go right. buy a scope from the store and move on with your life. And right. it just so happened. Everything we've ever had is second. Um, so that's, that's a cool, um, ex- explanation of those two differences. And um, I think you'll like, it. I mean, the odds of you actually walking through, looking for coyote deer elk anything like that at two and a half power is almost non-existent I mean, there's a reason I that agree. the yeah. six foot the fixed six was the number one scope for so long it's a it's a great walking around power um, but if you're down in the thick black timber a two and a half with just some basic black line references you're going to see a lot of fur on that animal because it's going to be close enough you could probably poke it with the barrel yeah um, <laughs> and so that's the concept is to get everything out of your way except that kind of center that references thing, yeah if you have to take a snapshot per se so um let's also talk about eye relief um for me it's been uh it's probably has a lot to do with your the way you mount a, the scope which will you know maybe even get into some of that but one thing i will uh give maven a huge attaboy on is there's been some other scopes that I haven't owned, but I maybe looked through that. Let's say the power goes up to 30, 20, 24 to 36. I don't know. Just, you know, really high. Right. But when it's up there, all I'm looking through is like a little pinhole. You know, I can't see anything I'm actually trying to look at as a, as opposed to my Maven. The first time I put it at 15, which is what mine is. All I do is stick my eye down there and I can see everything. What, what goes into getting good eye relief? Is it more about your your tube diameter and your your optical objective lens, or is it more about the way it's installed on the rifle? So it's a little bit of both and a lot of neither. <laughs> <laughs> so really kind of where it starts is it starts with the um, eye box. So basically that... Um, that set of lenses closest to you mm-hmm. where the zoom mechanism and all that stuff exists. That uh, that's a really big piece of where eye relief itself comes through. But one of the things you were mentioning about the kind of pinhole, that's actually a function of um, exit pupil, which is one of those terms, you know, when you're talking about uh, all the different specs, exit pupil is one of them. Exit pupil, and it's a lot easier to demonstrate if this were a video, but I'll try and walk (laughs) through it uh, audibly. Basically, if you hold an optic up to the light, but away from your eye, a binocular, spotting scope, whatever, there's a circle of light inside that optic. And the size of the circle of light is is the power, or sorry, the objective lens divided by the magnification. So if it's a 10 by 42, which is my favorite one to use because the math is easy, uh, that's a 4.2 millimeter exit pupil. But if you do a 10 by 30, it's a three millimeter. That means that's the size of light. That's the target area that your eye has to hit to get a full picture coming out of that optic. So the the worse that ratio gets, let's say uh, the RS3 is a great example. It's a 50 mil uh, objective lens and it goes to 30 power. That's what 1.2 millimeters. 
your eye has to be perfectly lined up to get that um, that little beam of light to deliver. So it's less forgiving when you have a bigger, a smaller ratio. Gotcha. Um, eye relief is the distance away from that lens that your eye can be to get a good focus. Um, on a binocular where you're putting it right to your face, they're usually 15 to 18 millimeters. That uh, accounts for people who have, you know, more prominent brows that uh, keep the binoculars out or myself where I wear glasses, I can leave the caps twisted in, put them right up and I have that natural 18 millimeter gap in between there. On a rifle scope, if your eyes right on that, you're gonna join the half moon club as soon as you pull the trigger. <laughs> um, and so you have to be a little bit further back to get that eye relief. And, you know, one of the most common things if you have a, a missed setting is get, you get vignetting, you end up with some black shadows around the edge. And first you have to have a scope that has good eye relief. You know, ours are, you know, two and a half inches on almost all of our scopes, uh, plus or minus, which gives you room to get comfortably into the stock, but not get your eye punched out when you pull the trigger. But mounting is, I mean, mounting on a scope is one of the most common mistakes made by shooters. And I get as many messed up scopes back from people who have had gunsmiths mount them as people that have mounted them themselves. So it's not just the amateur at home. There is a fundamental misunderstanding. They're mounting them too high and then they can't get a good cheek weld. Um, they're using rings they already have that are too short and then they don't clear the bolt. And so then they move the scope up to clear the bolt instead of, you've got it, all the pieces have to work together. It's like baking a perfect cake. If one ingredient's off, the whole thing ends up tasting terrible. And so you have to use a good quality rings. Don't go out and spend a thousand dollars on a scope and then cheap out on rings. Um, good bases, good materials. And then, you know, there are a dozen good videos out there on how to properly mount a scope and how to get it set for you. Um, but you know, one of the, the best things I heard, I think I can walk through it uh, audibly, but basically you get a scope kind of soft mounted in, a, in springs mm -hmm. and you close your eyes, you bring the gun stock up to your shoulder and open your eye. And if the scope isn't where it should be feeling comfortable, move the scope and you should do that three times in a row after moving it to make sure that when you bring it up, it's in a natural position. And if it's too high, too low, too far forward, make the adjustment you need to, because you need to be a good shooter. You need the natural position on the gun and then you should move the scope around that, not your positioning around the gun or the scope. If that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So I already got to um, change stuff. <laughs> yeah. I remember going backwards with my uh, my butt pad so that I got better relief through the, the scope. Oh. So yeah. I changed so that I could. Yeah. That's a good, that's good, good idea. So and then I think, you know, kind of lastly on that aspect of it without getting too deep is torque on, use a torque wrench on mounting your scope. If you don't use a torque wrench, you are, you do not have a properly mounted scope. Mm -hmm. um, it's a thin aluminum tube that can easily be distorted by overpressure. Most rings are not designed to touch when they're closed. Mm -hmm. So we, we use worn rings here for everything. And 
you know, they're not cheap. They're about 170 bucks a set. But when you're mounting an $1,800 scope, right. You know, might as well spend the money. 10% of the cost. 10% of your scope. And and they are, when they're torqued correctly to 18 uh, foot pound or inch pounds, they do not touch. So if you are just, you know, at home and you've just got a star wrench and you're like, I'm just going to tighten it down until they touch and I'm good. You have now pinched that scope and where you pinch it is where the erector tube is. And that erector tube is what moves your reticle around. And so you can crack a tube, you can pinch it. And then when you let off the pressure, it goes right back to normal. But if it, if your scope's not tracking anyone's brand, if your scope's not tracking or it's an erratic, uh, placement 99.9 percent of your t- of the time it's a mistorqued mismounted scope hmm. really do you use loctite now, if it's a 50 dollars scope it's a sc- it's the scope issue <laughs> <laughs> do you i guys... use blue loctite on yep. the bases i use no loctite on the rings no loctite on the rings blue, blue loctite on the it, bases no on the rings okay it's a uh i don't think it's a hard and fast rule um I change out rings and scopes often enough that I don't like to have it uh, too gummed up, but I, I clean off my um, s- screws. Uh, I've never noticed uh, grease on the worn screws, but I have on some other brands. Um, but yeah, I, I do lock tight the bases and those get, I think 60 inch pounds. And so they're, they got to be torqued down a little bit more and those things you'll almost never, ever take them off again. Yeah. Um, but when the scope in the rings, I've, I've never had one come loose. I always have a torque wrench so I can always check them if I'm worried. Um, if you're one and done mounting it and you think it's, you're never going to move it. I don't think there's any harm in throwing a little blue Loctite on it, but yeah. Take it from me, listener. Rings are important. Yeah. And listen to what. Kay just said, because this was years ago. Russell will remember this story. I got my first deer rifle. Uh, it was Grandpa's. Grandpa's the one I was. 300 Win Mag, yeah. And uh, it just came with cheap. It had a scope on it, and I didn't know anything about it. And I'm like, hey, this will work. We went to shooting, and after about, you know, five shots, I thought I was on. So we started, shoot, you know, shot a little more, and I got worse and worse and worse. And after a while, Russell looks at the gun. He's like, oh. No, no wonder the scope had totally come loose and was like <laughs> laying on one side almost, you know, and had moved all the way back or forward, whichever way the gun would make that thing go, um, just without us noticing, uh, years ago. And it was because it had cheap ass, you know, $25 rings on it yep. from who knows when. And, uh, that was, that was the first lesson I learned. R- rings are important. So now I usually spend quite a bit on rings. Um, well, you know, I mean, even if you get a cheap scope, which, I mean, I don't suggest it, but it's what holds the scope in its place. So you need it to be quality, you know, if you think about it. So bad rings will make any scope turn yeah. bad. Yep. So, What's some other good tools for installate? Like when you Leveling. install a scope, you know, you want to level it, obviously. So what's some other tools that you like to use with installation? Obviously a torque wrench, you said that. And then how do you like to go about leveling your scope? What, how do yeah, you right. process that? Uh, pretty simple process and uh, not to overly plug ourselves, but we do have some good uh, mounting videos and some uh, 
I, I did a YouTube on the Maven uh, site a couple of months ago about the difference between first and focal plane, a quick little two minute video that's uh, uh, worth mentioning. But for, so I have a um, bench vise, can't remember the name of it. You know, it's a portable bench vise that I can mm -hmm. pop a gun in. And then I have a set of Wheeler uh, levels and they're really slick because it's a two piece kit. You put, you know, first you'll, you find level on the gun mm -hmm. and then you use the second one. It mounts on the barrels. They match. Uh, then when you take off the one that's from your flat part of the gun, when you, after you mount your rings and you put your scope on it and you go back to, uh, you know, you put the small one back on top of the scope and you just make sure that it marries up to the one that's on the barrel. So you always have the two references of, of, um, level. Yeah. Uh, we've used a reticle leveler before too, the kind you clip onto the barrel and then look through and get the visual. But as soon as I went to the two level system, I've never had one twisted. Hmm. Um, don't be afraid to remount a scope. Um, you know, a lot of the rings that are ring and base combos, um, they can go both directions. They can mount, um, you know, they've got basically L-shaped feet on them. And if you're going to mount it far forward, you put both facing forward and that gives you a little bit more play that way. If you've got like a smaller person or a youth gun, you might flip them both the other direction. You can flip those back and forth uh, depending on the scope. Um, some scopes have a smaller mounting platform, like the RS3 is a good example. The forward mounting section is much smaller than the rear mounting section. So you might want to flip that front one around a little bit to give you a little bit more uh, room to, mm -hmm. to manipulate. But sense. I see people go, ah, screw it. I've already made it this far. I'll make it work. But it's a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of things invested to not go back and do it right. Yeah. So, Okay, so play with it. Do explain, it right. <laughs> explain that again, because you use the same thing that uh, I do. So you put the gun in the vise. You put you mount the the level on the barrel. No, so I put the gun in the vise, uh -huh. and every gun has a flat spot on it. Right, right. And then I put the the loose, the small, yeah, the uh, uh, the magneted one on that flat spot until I level the gun in the vise. Once I know it's leveled in the vise, then I put the barrel mount on and match it up so that they're both in agreement. Mm -hmm. That way I can take off the other magnet now and start working where the scope is, knowing that I'm holding my level. Then once I get everything mounted up and soft tighten the screws, then I can put the mag the small level back on the top, on the cap top of, of the, the rifle of scope, the scope. Okay. And, and use it to level and match up. And even though the wheelers are really precise or fairly precise, there is a little bit of a play. So I always line up on one edge of the line or the other, because it's just enough that if you try and center it within the bubble, there's some usually about a half millimeter float on each end. But if you line up right on the, like a left bubble or right bubble perfectly, you can get it super precise. Hmm. Huh. Nice little trick there. Yeah, that's a good idea. What are some? Uh, are there any other tools that you would recommend for the basic person to have if they're going to install a scope? So I would say one of the more controversial uh, discussions I had with the roundtable. You know, we were trying to build our our perfect setup. I'm like, all right, what is the best bore sighting tool that there is out there? What do you use to bore sight? They said, 
the vice. You pull out your gun, you pull out the bolt, you look down the <laughs> barrel, you line it up at 100 yards. Don't put a laser in there. Don't try and fiddle with any of the extra tools. Literally boresight it looking down the barrel and then line it up to the gun. And I ended up getting a clamp for my tripod so that I can clamp it in there and aim down the alley, which makes my neighbors a little bit bit nervous <laughs> i have a spot about 100 yards down where i can see a one of those uh telephone top uh transformers uh you know on a line yeah. and look out there and line it up and click it and i'm usually on paper when i get out to the range um it doesn't take a whole big kit to do things right right um you know back a few years ago lapping rings was a big deal Yes. I don't know if you guys are familiar, you know, really gritting up some, this tube and lapping rings to get them lined up. Um, the new precision manufacturing, I'll probably get eviscerated <laughs> for this by this high precision guys, but I've, I've never lapped a ring in my life. Um, and with the, the quality stuff that's coming out right now, um, it seems to be consistent enough to not need it. I'm sure if I was a uh, world-class competitive shooter trying to shoot at the two mile mark that precision might matter but uh so far i haven't had an issue um did have one really interesting issue though and it's worth noting had a customer just absolutely could not get their scope to dial could not they kept bottoming out they were on a 20 moa rail turns out that the manufacturer had put in one medium and one high ring in their uh in their package huh. oh wow <laughs> and pretty high to ma match up when uh you've got two different heights of rings in there yeah so. <laughs> jeez bad luck on that guy <laughs> and I, i've got another one this is going to sound stupid but i am terrified to touch my lenses and when they're dirty i will put off cleaning them because i don't want to scratch them up what what do you like for cleaning lenses is there a certain like i see these lens cleaner pins or, you know, obviously everybody's got sunglasses and the sunglass cloth. What 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 do you like for cleaning your glass? I lick them. Literally? Lick them. Wow. Okay. <laughs> we got a he glass was, He was stone-faced when he said that. <laughs> I was like, this guy's serious. <laughs> Window so liquor. anything that's approved for eyeglasses is, is good on binocular lenses uh, and rifle scope lenses. The thing that always causes the damage is the grit before you get them cleaned. And that's why the lens pens with the little brushes and stuff are so popular. Um, because the first time you put a little piece of sand on there and you don't see it, you, it doesn't matter how great your cloth is. If you use that cloth to push a piece of sand across your lens, you have a scratch. So mm -hmm. um, a little dust of air. I actually recommend water. Um, like our binoculars, what we tell you to do, or, you know, it's a little harder with a rifle scope because you got to manipulate around the gun, but they're sealed. They're waterproof. They're designed to take some water on them. Mm -hmm. We recommend you rinse it with warm water, get it nice and uh, make sure that there's no debris on it before you ever touch it with a cloth. Then you can spray it with, uh, you know, any of the lens cleaning stuff. Don't use a glass cleaner, like commercial glass cleaner removes coatings. So you don't want to do that. Don't use Windex. Uh, anything you got get from an optometrist for eyeglasses, anything you get, you know, um, from like our lens cleaning kit has a, a spray in it from a brand uh, called 
equity, I think, uh, purity. Purity lens cleaner. And that's when I go get my glasses at the optometrist, they give me a bottle of the same stuff. So it's pretty, pretty common. And then a nice microfiber cloth or 100% cotton cloth to, to get rid of the streaks. But it's better to have a big old smudge in the field that you have to clean later than it is to have a big old scratch right down the middle. So if you're not sure you've got the dust off of it, don't touch it. See, though, that's perfect for the people like me out there listening. That Lick it. Dude, I'm serious. <laughs> I, I might have to. You see me out there spitting on my gun. <laughs> or maybe just take the bottle of water out and pour a little bit on there first. You know? Yeah. Because I, I will I will let it get dirty because I'm just like, I'm not going to touch the damn thing. I don't know how to clean it. I want to screw it up. Yeah. I've probably been doing it wrong. Yeah, I actually scratched my I, – I didn't follow my own advice, and I scratched my glasses turkey hunting this weekend. Uh-oh. The only cloth I had on me, I was wearing um, a synthetic top layer and my daughter's hunting with me, the 11-year-old, and she sees me to go to do that. And she goes, Dad, is that 100% cotton? <laughs> she just got glasses, and Mom's been <laughs> drilling it into her. I'm like, no, it's going to be fine. And what I do? Put a scratch right up my lens. Oh, of course. Man. Do as I say, did y'all have any, as I do. Did y'all have any luck? Yeah, so uh, my daughter's 11. This was her first time going turkey hunting, and she killed a nice Tom on uh, Saturday morning. So That's uh, awesome. Friday morning. I'm assuming a 50 yard, 52 yard shot with a 20 gauge. Nice. Oh, wow. I'm assuming a Merriam out there. Yeah. I've actually got a picture off to the game and fish for a review. Cause it's pretty bronze tipped. Um, okay. We usually get some pretty crispy white tails out here. Merriam's, which is, is nice, but uh, yeah, this has a little bronze in it. I think it might be a hybrid Rio, but nice, nice, real nice bird. She was, she killed the biggest bird of the weekend. There you go. Um, so she's been rubbing that in. Got some bragging hey. rights, huh? Well, tell her congrats for us. Yeah, That's absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, sure will. Um, now she's getting geared up for antelope season. That's her first year being able to big game hunt. Oh, that's she cool. turns 12 this fall. So awesome. she's, she's all in. That's awesome. Yeah, Wyoming nice. has some of the fun stuff out there. Yep. Um, Hopefully so, she can get a good scope on our gun. <laughs> yeah, maybe probably come <laughs> take care of it. <laughs> I'm sure she's covered. Uh, so, you know, for the listeners, um, obviously Cade, you know, is part owner of, of Maven, he's partial to his brand. Um, we all use Maven. So, you know, we thought it was natural to, to talk to Cade or you all about the basics of rifle scopes. And I'm sure there's stuff we didn't get into. A lot of stuff, um, yeah. you know, this is, this was a 30,000 foot view for, for people who just want to maybe learn a little more before they go buy something. Sure. Uh, we're not, we're, we're not talking to professional shooters in this show. Um, but for those folks, um, let them know how they can get a hold of Maven and, and look at your stuff and, and how they can go about uh, yeah, buying Since you one. are direct to consumer, can't find them at nope, big box not stores. Go to Bass Pro them. or something. Yeah, find them. Yeah, mavenbuilt.com is our website. Um, spelled just like it sounds. And, you know, all of our stuff's on there. We have a lot of different, uh, there's, some different tabs that have the specs on it. There's some stories about our products on there. Um, so yeah, that's really kind of the one-stop shopping. We're pretty active on social media, so you can get on Instagram or Facebook at, uh, at Maven built as well. And then we do have a YouTube channel and we primarily use our YouTube channel for um, educational stuff. We have stuff we call the Maven minute. So 
There's one you should watch. There's a one minute Maven minute on how to clean your optics. <laughs> uh, I will. <laughs> you know, there's how to how to mount a rifle scope and how binoculars work and what the numbers mean and you know, nice little snippets of you don't have to embarrass yourself in front of your friends not knowing something. You can go on there and become a quick expert. So nice, highly recommend it. And speaking of binoculars, uh, you guys just got another award from Outdoor Life, didn't you? For best the... overall hunting binocular for 2022, the B1.2. Yeah. yeah, I know. I love mine. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. They are by far the best glass I've looked through, for sure. That's pretty awesome. Looks I like mean, we have a natural timer on our. Uh, we do again. Yeah. This is pissing Jeez. me off. <laughs> Zoom, Zoom. I, I'm gonna have to look into this because this is a first for us. Zoom, Zoom is Zoom not, is limiting our time here. Yeah, which we don't pay for a pro account, but we've never had to worry about it. So we'll uh, we'll we'll figure that out. But um, there was one more thing I was gonna say. Oh, whoever came up with your guys's logo back in 2014. You got to give them a high five because you guys have a badass logo. I'm just saying. That's your hat, your hat's one of my favorite sure. ones. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good deal. Huge fan. Well, Kate, well, thanks for having me on. Glad we got a chance to chat. Hope we uh, hope we checked off your list there. And But, yeah, if anyone has any more questions after this, uh, our customer service, our primary customer service gal, Molly, she's a competitive shooter, and she probably kills more big stuff than the rest of us combined. And she also loves to chat, so give her yeah. a call and uh, – Ask her some questions. She'll love it. Awesome, Kay. Well, thanks for hopping on with us. We appreciate it. You bet. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So you're going to stick with the first focal plane? Oh, yeah. Well, I haven't even used the damn gun yet. I say it's kind of, yeah. But I'm excited to use it. You really need to shoot. No, we shoot it because you got a few extra guns that we've talked about that you haven't got scopes for yet. So no. you kind of need to decide on what you're going to like. Like we talked about in the intro, if you and I go to our do our second annual coyote hunt up north, I don't currently have a coyote gun. I mean, I got one, but so I'd like to, I need to get take my new one dialed in. Yeah, same. Well, shoot, man, it's it's like we turned into Kansas or something like that. It's been windy every damn day. That is no joke. It's getting ridiculous. So it's either windy or raining. Yeah. yeah. Or I've been on a tractor. So if I can get a good good day to shoot, I'm busy because and you guys are too because there haven't been good days. So anytime the sun's shining, you I know Nate's got ball tournaments with his kids every time. I got family kids. Stuff. You got to say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> and my issue is I don't have. I could you have shoot to at my travel to a yeah, range. I yeah. could shoot at my house if I want to. I just don't feel. I don't think my yeah. neighbors would feel comfortable. Well, and I'm with the same it. way, and I so I just don't prefer yeah. to do that. Yeah, I do my shooting somewhere else, even I'm though I probably could here. Deck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which you're, you're you lucky. have no issue. Yeah, yeah you're you lucky know, in that fact. Me, it's probably not a thing because I've got multiple hills between me and. If I were you, I would me. have no problem shooting. <laughs> See, I, I don't. So I've been fortunate last couple of years. I planted for some, I did some dirt work stuff. So I went beans on beans at my house. So I've been able to beans shoot. Beans on beans on beans. That's not I'm, a thing. I'm, that's not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Same Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been able to shoot all year round. Yeah. Well, I planted corn this year. Oh, so you're kind of limited. Unless I decide just to mow a trail to my range. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hate to say that, but it's crossed my can, mind a time Can you not just plant you know, one like get you well the way you probably set it up you can't get a road where you just don't play well, it'd be road. downhill and then right. the water and did you yeah. leave that edge again this year where'd you plant it you have you have enough room nice you're welcome i mean if we ever get around to putting anything yeah. we never did last year either yeah no we'll uh, we'll get that taken care of but 
I'm hoping I need to get shooting now just in case I can't. Uh, I'm going to either I'm going to have to elevate some targets. <laughs> I mean, because I'd still have a good backstop right oh, there. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, but we yeah. need to find an evening where we just do it because it's, mm-hmm. st- it's staying light later. Yeah. yeah. No, there's definitely enough time in the day to shoot at the end of the day. But like we all talked about before, he's either planting, you got some type of practice. Same here, Lawson, he's got practice or games. So, so you're starting the old T ball circuit. Yeah, it's actually coach pitch. Oh, yeah. Snap. He, he he's four years old. Went this is his first straight to it. Yeah, he went straight. It's some friends of ours that are coaches because it's not even in our school district. Not that it really matters. So, you know, it's some friends of ours. They wanted him on the team. They just you know they saw the natural athletic abilities from their <laughs> father, and they were like, "We need him." So that kid has to play for us. Yeah, exactly. He's going to be a stud, or he's going to murder somebody with a bat. <laughs> One of the two. No, he's a sweetheart of a kid. He just he likes to joke around a little bit. I he's love, a jokester. Love the kid. Yeah, he's awesome. So, but uh, thanks, thank you, Maven, for coming on. You know, kind of uh, giving us an overview of how some scopes are put together and what you need to think about going into you know. Yeah, when you're purchasing one, and this isn't right. even like. Don't think this this was a commercial for Maven because it it wasn't. But that is the basics that you need to think about mm-hmm. when you're going to purchase one. Um, we have all owned and own multiple brands. Right. There's there's all kinds of good brands out there. Yeah. Maven is definitely one of them. And what I like about <clears throat> Maven, just to stay on that topic for a second, uh, being direct to consumer, I can get a scope or a set of glass that is high end for, for not necessarily that price because you know it's not going through like a, sh- a store or whatever at the same time so that's 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 nice they i mean they are it's top of the line glass is what you're looking at whenever you go look at maven stuff we didn't they, even talk about like where the glass comes from and all that right stuff. Which, he kind of he did a little bit it comes from japan if you do any bit itself. yeah the glass itself if you do any bit of research japan makes the absolute best glass you can get so, you know, there's that. It's pretty solid. Pretty solid. It's pretty solid. I wouldn't, maybe not like the best. It's, um, it's right up there with the best. It's high quality. No, I'm pretty confident. That's it's some the high best. quality H2O. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty confident it's the best. But, anyways. Hey, water boy. You know what? I heard of it. I need to talk Something's to wrong with your medulla obligato. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does it. For the beginning of the show, we talked about uh, you know our friend Dustin there. I've been thinking of a question I need to ask him. And I heard, and it's not, I don't know, it could be true. Bees are allergic to pollen. Oh, yeah? yeah. How do you, you figure that? They break out in hives. <laughs> they break out in hives. My brother's going to enjoy I'll that joke. I'll call your brother. I'll call He's your brother. He's going to enjoy that joke. I don't know if he listens or not. But well, he, that was a joke? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. They laugh at D's nuts. No Captain Insano. <laughs> Why are you get out of here? No Colonel Sanders. You're wrong. Mama's right. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch that movie now. I, I don't need you to push the button. Yep. No. You can't tell me what to do. Are we done? Yep, we're done. I wasn't really listening. Did you do a dad joke? Oh, <laughs> I was thinking about you're, the water you're on, boy. <laughs> you're on, you're he, on something. He's, he's today, a little aren't slow, you? isn't he? Yeah. Something. Yeah. You'll have hey, to forgive hey, my hey, friend. Bees aren't really. He's a little to slow. Okay. The town is two miles that way. <laughs> what movie? This Dumb episode is it's over. Like a Gone in sixty seconds DVD. <laughs> it was here a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't even late at night. <laughs> uh, 
Have a good one, guys. Later. See ya.